you feel that? <laughs> uh. Okay, uh, a variation two of the Triloquy theme. Let's let this one rock for a minute. That's crucial. <laughs> crucial. You're a, you're a full-fledged DJ, huh? Down in the lab. Down in the lab. lab. Well, that sounds really great. I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. Thanks again for this new theme. It sounds really great. You're starting it off, man, with the bassoon line. That's all you. Yeah. All I have to do is just give the window dressing. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll I guess, in, in 15 more opuses, we'll, we'll have figured out uh, something else for, for the opening. I'm sure that we're going to have a bank of them by then. Oh, yeah. Speaking of big banks, today we are um, kind of talking about one of the music world's richest musicians. I mean, in more ways than one, Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter herself. I'm really excited. Um, If you remember, Scott, um, watching her homecoming uh, documentary and the homecoming performance, she included uh, what she called a black orchestra, which um, included uh, a few string uh, players, a few violinists and Mm -hmm. violists. And on this opus of Triloquy, I uh, get to talk to one of those violinists. Her name is Jessica Majunkins. She um, is a contractor in the in the New York City area. She uh, plays violin, and yeah, she is very proud to have um, yeah reached reached into her bag and uh, and made a connection with Beyonce. That's got to be a serious rush to yeah. made a connection with somebody like that. But how did you get in touch with Jessica? Well, uh, I've known Jessica. Um, for a few years now, I think we uh, met through Sphinx originally. You know, just another. You know, the Black classical music world uh, is is a small one, um, so so we tend to all all be connected. Uh, really great conversation with Jessica that I'm looking forward to sharing here in a few minutes. But first, yeah, we have a little um, a little feedback. We got some housekeeping. So I, I want to thank everyone who's uh, listened and and stuck with Triloquy. You know, it's really been a, a great ride. Um, I've gotten a lot of DMs, a lot of emails, a lot of texts. But now, if you have something that you want to let um, let us know, you can email triloquy at americanpublicmedia.org. T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y at americanpublicmedia.org. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I got a bit of feedback basically asking, Scott, why are you here? We talk so much about race. We talk so much about gender. And as you, as the middle-aged white male, mm-hmm. you know, who we've heard from so much uh, in, in, for the past centuries, especially in classical music, uh, this person who, who asked not to be named uh, uh, wants to know why you're here, why, why, you're, why you're interested in this sort of work, and, um, and do you feel like you're filling the space of someone who is uh, more, uh, more deserving All of, the time. of this? So, so what's, I'll, I'll let you speak. What, what is your response to that? Well, I knew it was coming. Okay. There was going to, I knew that there was going to be some email about this or, or something. Nobody has reached out to me at all. Well, I want to know why you saw it coming. Well, look at what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about um, issues that exist in the world anyway, but as it manifests itself in classical music. Yeah. Um, I'm a middle-aged white guy that's been uh, announcing classical music my entire life. I am essentially part of the problem. I am part mm. of the institution. You're, you're the man. Right. <laughs> right? So that I, I knew that it was coming. Somebody at some point was going to say, what are you doing here? So, so what are you doing here? Well, 
I would encourage that person to go all the way back and listen to our overture or the Opus One, where I said, I realize that I'm not the one to be going out and finding these stories, but I do want to be a part of this awakening and this transition. Why do you want to be a part of it? Because that's the only way that this music is going to thrive, is if everybody is able to make it and appreciate it and listen to it and get something from it. You know, in, in many of our conversations, I it seems like all your life you've kind of been on the fringe uh, as far as not understanding some of these uh, bigoted sentiments people have. Or, yep. or you know, I, I'm right now I'm thinking back to our Juneteenth opus where you talked about how moved you were thinking about the struggles of uh of the Somali families that have, have moved here to the Minnesota area. And when you talk about your upbringing and then your working here uh, on Triloquy, um, yeah, it, it seems like you've been a little woke, for, for lack of a better word, for uh, a while now. I've told you before, I am about as woke as somebody who got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Sure. Okay? <laughs> That's how woke I am. Okay. And listen, this is not easy. Okay, yeah, sure. this this you said early on when when I said, you know, there might be a, a day when you want another person of color or perhaps a woman to come in and host this with you. And you said, no, 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 it's OK. You just need to realize that every once in a while you're going to be the butt of a joke. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's fun? I mean, no. do you think it's that, that I enjoy the idea that somebody is having a, a laugh at my expense because I said something stupid? But with that being said, do you not appreciate being able to engage these conversations in an honest way. You know, it's an, I, I don't feel like you're here trying to be one of the good ones, be, to be one of the good white people, as much as you're here offering your tools and, and offering your skills. That's my hope. To, to, to what I think is a very um, important conversation. But, but, but lest we never forget. These white men are dangerous. <laughs> Why you got to lump me in there? I just think it's funny to see your face every time I play that. <laughs> well, I mean, no, well, I like that you're letting that off the chain. I like that you actually record that. You don't shy away from it. <laughs> I love the way that you lean into these conversations, Garrett. And uh, you and I share the mic. Yeah. In in the prelude and the close. Yeah. So that's like twenty minutes, and we got to what Epis, uh, Opus Twelve before I actually led an interview. And I think that was one of our most powerful opuses because, again, D- Devon, and shout out to Devon, you know, who's always very open and very honest. And the rapport you have with him, I think, played a big role into the stories he told. So, yeah. Um, I think that the fact that I have been involved with percent, perhaps 10 or 15 percent, that's how much I'm heard over the whole, uh, all the, the catalog of what we've done, I think that's a fair fraction. Yeah, sure. 10 to 15% is what I occupy. And I really appreciate the question from, I'm going to I'm gonna call this um, listener Kiki. So I, <laughs> I really uh, appreciate the note from uh, Kiki because it's one of those honest questions that, again, folks have been so afraid to ask, historically speaking, when, when, when there is a project like this that is um, not fully black, there's always going to be a question of, well, what is that person doing here and, and, and all this stuff. So I, I appreciate that that very honest question. And, and you know, um, it's really ju- as far as the C-24 staff, you know, it, it's just me who is, who is the black person um, mm-hmm. on, you know, on the air in that way. 
And, you know, with your um, skills as far as Pro Tools and, and all the button pushing and all the editing uh, you do on your end, plus your willingness to engage these conversations, I, I think is really important. Um, I uh, maybe, a, you know, I'm trying to think exactly what maybe a year ago, July or August, but before Triloquy really started, you know, having its discussions and, and started to get started, I, uh, I said that I wanted to be a part of classical music's uh, Jesus and Mero or Skip and Shannon, if yeah, you're familiar yeah. with that. And uh, uh, Skip uh, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp definitely have very um, opposing views on things, very different but complementary backgrounds. And and just, just as that show is really um, poignant and really interesting, you know, I'm, I'm not a big sports guy at all, but I find the conversations engaging. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like we can do the same here. We, we both play off each other. We come from different experiences and we bring different audience members with us because as you've told me in the past, there are people listening to Triloquy um, because you're involved. You yeah, know, there's two or three and they're, oh, stop, stop that. <laughs> And then there are plenty of people listening because I'm involved. And then plenty of people listening just because they want to hear these conversations. So, yeah, Scott, I, I, I appreciate your work and I appreciate your sometimes being the pincushion. I don't bully you all that all that much, though. So don't even act like I'm sitting up here. No, I think that we each give each other space to say what's on our minds and we don't go, oh, that's bullshit. You know, we don't we don't you know, yeah. have you ever heard me go, oh, I think you're overdoing it or that's not with the you, mic on. You've not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, so right. Uh, so I, I mentioned uh, Skip and Shannon, and so lately they and just about everyone in in the music um, world, in the pop industry world, even in the sports world, are talking about um, Beyonce's husband Jay Z and uh, his new connection with uh, the NFL. Uh, so for folks who don't know, Jay Z uh, stood out against the NFL for many. For, for you know, for a long time. On, Didn't he write a line about it too? Yeah, the, he did an album with Beyonce that came out last summer, and um, in the in the tune titled "Ape," he says, um, "I said no to the Super Bowl. You need me. I don't need you." Mm-hmm. And then he encouraged many other artists not to perform the Super Bowl. This is, of course, all connected to Colin Kaepernick and. Um, the work he did, which led to his being whiteballed out of the NFL, and you know he he won that lawsuit and everything. So you know, for a long time, we have this sort of black awakening on what is our relationship with the NFL. We don't need to be watching it. We don't need to uh, support these good old boys and their racist tactics. And then all of a sudden, Jay Z and the NFL come out in partnership. And a lot of people feel a way about that, um, especially considering what he said about the organization. In the past, I'm curious what you what your take on on that is the situation. First off, I don't watch many sports, if anything. I might watch the Super Bowl, yeah, just because everybody else is talking about it. And what am I going to do? And and who doesn't like hot wings and nachos? I'm, right. I love hot wings and nachos. <laughs> Always at the uh, Super Bowl parties. But anyway, your your but, thoughts on the? Um, you know, here's the here's the thing: is that 
You know, the, 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 the tie-in with the military hasn't always been there. You know, the flyovers and all that kind and of that stuff. And that was completely construed out of somewhere because right. that is not why he was kneeling. Right. You know, right. Colin Kaepernick was, lean, uh, was kneeling because white cops were killing unarmed black people. Right. So if he that, that's what I don't understand, why people are all bent out of shape, that they want to make the argument about how he's disrespecting the flag and all the service that all these other people have given in order for him to be able to play this game. Um, I, but 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 J- but Jay Z specifically with the NFL. Well, how how do you feel about that? Oh, I thought you were talking about no, because I was I, him kneeling during the national anthem did not impact me because you know I look around and I see people watching these football games in their homes and as soon as the national anthem they're not, anthems, standing. They're they're not, not standing up. Okay, so uh, forget about that. But he said I saw the interview with the NFL commissioner, perhaps mm-hmm. it was where he said, I think we're past the kneeling and we need to move on to some actionable items. And I thought, did you confer with Colin about this? Who is this your decision to make that we're past the kneeling? And his girlfriend said that they have not been in contact, that Jay-Z has not been in contact with Colin Kaepernick. So so. why does he get to decide when the kneeling stops and when the actionable items start? And that's a very good question, and it's interesting that you bring up that kneel that uh, we're past kneeling part because I don't think we ever will be, you know, in, in sports. You know, that's a conversation, but but here in classical music, we will never be done with with the conversation of um, integrating these different sounds and integrating these these different stories. You know, I, I don't. It, it hurt my feelings to hear Jay Z say that. From my perspective, it was. A money grab, and you know, I know folks are gonna just hate that that I say that, but that's what it is from from my perspective. And I'm not hating on him. I have faith in Jay Z. He has done a lot of great work um, in in the community within the culture, as far as uh, getting folks out of jail, getting um, people back on their feet. You know, he Jay Z um, does do really great work. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that, and and I think that's where it's fair for me to leave it. I, I'm hope I'm hoping that despite the kind of bad optics and and some of his responses that a lot of people didn't re- appreciate he um he he might just make a change there you know in in the same way that you are you know trying to use your tools to make a change i hope he's doing the same fingers crossed fingers crossed all right i hope I, to be I, there to see the transition happen and i think it's really interesting in all of this that beyonce has been nowhere to be seen how it seems like she's trying to stay away from it but you know she she has a lot of other really important things on her plate including um giving visibility to black classical musicians and that's one of the main things uh, i talk about with uh, jessica majunkins is how these celebrities um in these positions can really give voice and give um visibility to people of color who play classical music or who have a background in classical music and she did that in a really big way um with with homecoming you know Mm -hmm. not just uh you know letting people see and feel the hbcu homecoming experience but all of the uh gradients of it you know the the dancing the 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 singing and even those of us who play you know stringed instruments or or wind instruments classical instruments so 
Um, I talk about that with Jessica. Uh, we talk about what it means to be a contractor in a city like New York, you know, yeah. the the city that never sleeps, uh, as it said. So this is the second uh, interview that you're going to hear that's tied to the Gateways Festival. When I went to the festival after giving a, a, my opening speech, um, I asked Jessica McJunkins to come up to my hotel room and we have this conversation. Lady Jess, so a um, a very important woman once said, if you feel insignificant, you better think again, because you're part of something way bigger. What is music but that? Exactly. What What is music but that? And Shoot. and and she's such a genius. And <laughs> you know, the first time I uh, heard that Beyonce song, I was actually in the shower. I had my earbuds in. I had to get out of the shower to tell my boyfriend, <laughs> you I don't emerge. care what you're doing right now. <laughs> you need to turn this Stop. on. Stop. You just need to stop. <laughs> stop. Your life depends on what you do in the next like, five seconds. And we're definitely going to talk about your connections um, with Beyonce. But um, first, let's, uh, let, let's learn just a little bit about you. So you live in New York and you are a freelancer. And a lot of people have heard that word freelancer a lot. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean um, for, for the working musician in New York City? Um, Other than driving yourself crazy, I'm sure. Oh my God! <laughs> Talk about Pandora's box. Um, no, it it is. It's a really interesting way of life that takes a lot of nerve, um, and it is something that I did not think I would be uh, living. I I didn't think I would be a freelancer at this in my life but did you think that you would be more of the traditional orchestral musician um or something else altogether no uh well for a while after undergrad um after undergrad I, I spent two years um just playing with the charlotte symphony and also working as an intern there um i was an intern there because i was recruited by the then director jonathan martin mm -hmm. and I was not in school at that point, so I was literally just doing it for the experience. Yeah. And at that point, my plan was to infiltrate by way of <laughs> arts administration. <laughs> okay. Because it offered that idea and a sense of financial security that I'd never experienced before. Like, yeah. When, when you talk about infiltration i want you to dig more into that what, what, what why did you use that word infiltrate um i started using that word around the time that i started contracting because contracting enabled me to see to get enough of an inside view to realize that in order to really make the kind of immediate change i was impatient for and mm -hmm. not seeing in the organizations that i looked to it for um in order to really make that change, I started to see that I had to be involved in the very upper levels of everything. Yeah, yeah. So so working, you know, with the traditional orchestras, you weren't able to decide who was coming into the no. space and, and what no. they were bringing with them. But, yeah. you know, as a contractor, someone who, who hand-selects these people, you, you're in complete control of that. Yeah. It, with so many people uh, living in New York, it seems like it'd be easy to, you know, just find the cello player you need or find the viola player. Mm -hmm. is, is that the case? No. Okay. It is not. It is not. And... And well, you know, actually, I take that back. It can be. Mm -hmm. if, if you want to just take anything. Yeah. 
It can be if you have a wider set of standards, which is my gracious way of saying if you will accept certain things that I simply will not. Yeah. And my choice to stick to my values, my personal values about, you know, feeling in my gut and every little detail mattering. Mm -hmm. um, They're always things, being notes. Right. <laughs> things like you dressing and how you appear and how you show up to the gig, knowing yep. that cameras will be everywhere, mm -hmm. knowing that in 2019 you are expected to represent a culture. So but before we go too far, so we know why you left the you know traditional orchestral world in North mm -hmm. Carolina and, and went on to New York, but what are the hows behind that? How did you make, <laughs> excuse me, how did you make that happen? Um, well, when I was playing, um, with the Charlotte Symphony, I was a regular extra musician. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I had the flexibility to take other work if I needed to because I wasn't playing every concert. I was doing most of the classics concerts, sometimes the children's series, sometimes pops. Um, and so that flexibility meant that sometimes when the Broadway shows were touring and coming mm -hmm. through Charlotte, I could be called to play in the pit. Um, and so the first time I was called, I was called as a sub for another Charlotte Symphony musician who, her name is Martha Geisler. Shout, Shout out, out to her. Martha. Yeah. Hey. Martha <laughs> is, Martha is so bomb. I can't even begin to express. She's like the original hippie from like the mountains of North Carolina, but she okay. took a chance on me. Yeah. And, um, I said, I got you. She had vertigo. Okay. And she was like, I can't do it. Yeah. Can you step in? And I promised myself I would play every note. And the show was South Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, it was like, there's no way to describe what it was like. But I really did play every note. And then what happened after you played each and every one of those notes? The conductor noticed and he said, Who are you? What are you doing? And I said, I'm freelancing in Charlotte, but I am really trying to get to New York, and I'll probably applying, be applying to a grad program up there if I can, because mm -hmm. that's the only way I know that I'll be able to like move there. And he was like, well, when you get there, call us. And you got there. And I got there, and I called them, and within a week and a half of me being in New York, I was the um, workshop violinist for Chaplin, the musical. Wow, yeah. you you never know what gig, right? what what it's specific really moment is going to be the one. <laughs> and people think that that's a cliche, but like I kid you, I'm sorry. Oh, you go, I kid you not. Sing your like, song. That's that's the gospel truth. You really just never know, and. The difference, so much of the time when I'm hiring somebody, I'm mm -hmm. hiring the person that knows that, that yeah. is aware of that, versus the, versus the person who's on the gig and only concerned with street cred. How do you uh, how do you begin to find these people that you need to contract? Is there a is there a musician listing somewhere? Is there a Craigslist for musicians? Mm -hmm. There's not. There's not. Um, there's social media, actually. Mm. Yeah. And that's interesting because so many people are, are, are trying to get further and further away from social media these days. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of that group. Okay. I can't because yeah. that's how you find people so much of the time. I could literally throw up a post and because people know that I contract and people know who I play with. Um, it helps with the quick response, you know? Um, that is a benefit. 
I will say that that has been welcome Um, because I am social when I need to be and I'm good at the internet. Yeah. But I am extremely introverted. And so I have to really parcel out the time that I spend online. Yeah. um, Which is why I miss a lot. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of DMs. Yeah. Shout out to everyone for their patience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but it's just how my brain works because being online takes a tremendous amount of energy. What, what are the, um, I'm curious, you know, there are nerves behind getting on stage and, Mm -hmm. and playing all those notes, but I'm sure there are nerves behind, oh my goodness, am I going to have these musicians contracted in time for this gig? Like how do, how do you handle that pressure? Um, (laughs) <laughs> the best you can the best that you can with all of the medicine that you can yeah um herbal and otherwise no but, amen amen but it really just comes down to planning and figuring and figuring out what rhythm works for you like i know for a fact that because i am dyslexic i have to put things in chart form so hmm. um, friends of mine who've been to my house <laughs> can laughingly tell you, um, I usually have like seating charts and, and flow charts and stuff that I draw and marker on big white sheets all around my apartment because yeah. that's the way that I can organize what I'm doing. Um, sometimes I have to contract several things at once. Like for the sheds opening in New York, I was contracting three groups and playing in one of them. Oh, wow. And playing in a show at the Kennedy Center on the same night that I was contracting my sister performing um, with Tin Chalice for the Julius Eastman. Ooh. And so, it Joan of Arc, so it was just like, I ha- you have to know what works for you in order for that to work. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. The more planning I can do in the way that's comfortable to me, the cooler I can be on the day of. Right. And that's just something that I learned, I think, from my parents, because my parents were also freelancers when we were growing up. So when did um, when did you get your first contracting <laughs> gig that involved TV? Oh, God. Oh. That was actually, I believe, that was Lauren Hill. Was she, did she? Did she show up? Was she on time? Oh, well, she yeah. wasn't on time. She yeah, no, no. She, oh, was, she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Everything went down. No, okay. that was that was actually like a great hit. That was that was amazing because um, Brandy Younger, the harpist. Shout yes. out to Brandy. Yeah, shout out to Harpista. Brandy was the first person who contracted me to play with her oh. um, at the Apollo for the premiere of the Nina Simone documentary. Oh my goodness, black women doing stuff, killing it, right? Yeah, and and. What I learned from Brandy actually on that hit was that as a contractor, sometimes you are responsible for the money Mm. when the money is not giving you the money. And that actually uh, scared the Uh, me. I'm sure. But it was so bossy of her. Yeah. I was like, what? Yes. Um, So, yeah. So it was very cool to contract for her for that show and to contract Brandy and Horns. And um, yeah, that was my first time contracting for TV. Yeah. And that was that was cool because that was my first time really understanding how in-ears worked. Oh, in-ear uh, monitors. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Okay. So when you're playing a lot of times with pop shows, like 
when we were on tour, we're playing for arenas and we're playing for stadiums, which means that if you don't have um, in-ear monitors, which are essentially like headphones on steroids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Then you can't hear anything because the sound is bouncing off of like, it's like playing in a cave. Yeah. So in the in-ear monitors, each musician has, at least on tour, each musician had an individual mix and you could customize that mix with the sound department who Mm. are like as brilliant at their jobs as like any classical musician is at theirs because in the middle of a show, like on tour, we had 19 people in our band. It was crazy. Um, And every single person had a way to speak to our sound guys. And they would just hear us throughout the show, be like, Jimmy, I need two dBs less. I need this. I need that. I need, oh, this this is a scene. Freeze this for the next four shows. And Mm -hmm. then in the next show, they're like, actually, no, don't do that. Yo, my dude. Like, and they're hearing all of this. And they're running a board with like hundreds of keys and buttons and and saving things. And so um, when we played on Fallon, I didn't have custom in-ears. I didn't have custom in-ears until Coachella. And that was something that Parkwood provided for us. Wow. I'm I'm wondering if you need a special instrument to to connect to to these systems or or can you just put it on your own? No, the the in-ears connect to um, packs. That okay. Are uh, hooked onto our outfits. Yeah. And those packs are by radio. They are they send signals to the soundboard. I see. Wow. How, so much technology yeah. involved. Yeah. So <laughs> if you need to talk to somebody, you have to find a way to dance over to the mic and like hit the button and be like, Hey, Jimmy. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Can't breathe. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> also, my pack died because I'm sweating too much. Who you know? And then, so I'm sure you have people to run out to replace the battery. Yeah, yeah we somebody have for every job. Up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Strings had two texts. So, so everyone in our collective circles, I'm sure, squealed in unison <laughs> when we saw you on stage at, at Coachella <laughs> with, with so Beyonce. Cool. But, but uh, the tour came first. You, you, you did no, on no, the no, run Coachella too. Coachella was first. Oh, oh, that's yeah. right. The, because the documentary. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, see, yeah. Beyonce messes with our timeline. You see, she you is see tricky. tricky. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So Coachella <laughs> was first. So how did how did you how did you? I mean, surely all of this contracting work and mm-hmm. the networking you were doing, you know, that that was very comprehensive toward yeah. you getting that opportunity. But yeah. but what what was the call? What 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 were this? What were the immediate series of events that led you to saying yes? I will play Coachella with Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can only go into so much detail. Of course, of course. Why? But. Um, I was called the first time to play for her in 2016 for the title show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Where she did haunt me and the braid and like the braid caught her ear, like that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually got the flu in the cab on the way to the first rehearsal, threw up in the back of the cab, was like, you know what? I got it. I'm a G. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Showed up and like, Without giving too much away, they were just like, listen, we got you. They had all the medicine I needed just like right there. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, so that was the first time. And the one thing I will say about working with her is that she's very loyal. And it is like a family, you know. That, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Because yeah. when I look at, um, you know, when I look at the folks um, that did the tour and then the folks that did, 
you know, the uh, mm -hmm. uh, Coachella, and then I look at some of the music video. You know, I, yeah. I see a lot of you familiar see a lot of faces. Yeah. yeah, I mean, does uh, what what does that mean to you for um, you know, for for this icon to really be dedicated to making sure that her team is her team? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I've worked with a lot of artists at this point, and I can say that few of them have had that sense of family. You can feel it right away. And the first thing, um, RMD is Derek Dixie, and the first mm -hmm. thing he said was, welcome to the family. Like, that's oh. literally how he dressed us. Wow. And that was incredible for me, especially as a string player, because as string players, we are kind of, like, still new on for, the For a lot of people, yeah. For a lot of people. For indies, for other people in the band, for wind players, for brass players who've only been bopping a certain way, you know, right. like here come string players, like it can be odd. And there's a certain stigma attached to string playing that's fair. Yeah. You know? Um, and so for us, it's not the typical setup either. Yeah. When players who have been learning things orally for their mm -hmm. whole lives, people who have been learning things in church orally for their whole lives and in school, but yeah. in jazz band and in band and in marching band. And so their sense of theory is totally different from ours as string players. Their sense of their way of learning music is different. Like we were all like. <laughs> writing things on napkins and well, and having to ask text to get sheet music for us so we could like scribble stuff down really fast and then eventually you just learn like you have to assimilate yeah there's no time i want to i want to dive into that a little more when you talk about you know you're showing up um to beyonce's homecoming with a violin and then there's someone you know playing the sousaphone who has who has never even seen that i mean <laughs> What, what, yeah, what, what can you say to that disparity? Because you are both, you know, there for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your paths are very similar, yeah. you know, both as musicians, but just at the same time, so different. It's so different. Um, well, you know, for us, because as you saw on the, the documentary, there's a period of time in which the band is just rehearsing mm -hmm. with her. And in that time is when we really built our chemistry. We, as a band, collectively would warm up in modes in unison through the circle of it, like every day. Um, as string players, we were highly annoyed. <laughs> oh, about the circle of fifths. Like, no, the modes. Oh, I, like oh that, yes, our scale yes. Systems are not like that. Right. You know, we didn't. It was just like, but then once you learn the patterns, it's like, oh, my God. Wow. When I expand my mind, mm -hmm. when I actually am assertively open to a new way yeah. of learning and listening to scales, this magical thing happens where I love it. So what happened on the converse? You're, you're learning these modes and this different uh, way of uh, looking at scales. Mm -hmm. What were some of the brass players and maybe even some of the percussionists learning from, um, from you and the rest of the string players? Um, to be honest with you, I don't know what they learned from us okay. because so much of it was us getting in there and asserting our right to be there yeah. and like fighting for moments and features and just like and i think we became like 
the lovable, annoying little children of like the band. Sure. And we were we were fine with that. I I personally love that because my father is a jazz musician. You know, he played percussion back in the day. Um, it's like in me. And so if she does something like ask us for the Jones sisters nights over Egypt, like mm-hmm. in unison, and it takes us to week, a week to learn it and we do learn it and we play it down as yeah. a band. And then she says, wow, y'all, that's so good. We'll <laughs> save it. Okay. Oh. And you lose it. It's okay. Because the process is thrilling. Yeah. Because it's so new. And every day you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. There's no way to know, you know, unless we're in like pre-records. You just have to show up and you just have to really ingest the music. So I did a lot of like, you know, recording things on my encrypted things on my voice recorder Mm -hmm. and going home after a full day of rehearsal and just listening through it and then rehearsing it on my own. Yeah. Because, you know, there's no music. But right. we're playing on everything, right? And we're writing everything that we play, and then adding choreography on top of on top and of that. Then yeah. after four months of that, then there are four months of production rehearsals. Wow! Wow! So it's like, and that is what really I think to answer your question in a really roundabout way. I think that that's what brings the two sides of the band really together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's like, yo. Yeah, yeah. Those modes, we gotta learn these steps. Like, like, it has. has, We're on the pyramid now. Like, it it has to be so hard going home and and not. Well, I'm 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 sure it's not hard to you know respect your NDA, but there there has there has to be pressure (laughs) behind or or not pressure, but I don't know. I I would, I feel like I would feel like I have this treasure that I just, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that no one can't, you know, no one can see this yet, but this is so, I don't know. I I can't imagine being in the position of having to work so hard for so long on something you can share with no one. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one of those once in a lifetime things Yeah, because it feels so underground and I, I just, at this point in my life, that was the best thing for me. Yeah. I loved that restriction. Yeah. I was just like, I don't have to tell nobody nothing. Mm-hmm. I say Shout B. Shout out Lil Nas X. I, exactly. <laughs> I say B, and I can't tell you anything else. And they go, oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh-huh. And that's it. And, you know, you're so well taken care of. Yeah. She makes it so that you can completely give yourself to this project. Yeah. And I've never in my life to this point ever been able to engage fully in a project before. Yeah. Coachella. One of the um one of the quotes from Beyonce that I uh, that really resonated me uh uh on that uh, documentary was mm. she wanted to create a space where no one was marginalized. Yeah. What do you think that would look like on the orchestral side of things? Does does that exist? Is gateways that? <laughs> um, In your opinion, of course. The difference between gateways and Coachella is that Coachella matters 
within the cultural shift context, mm. within the market leaves. Mm. Gateway still feels, for as beautiful as it is, it is beautiful for us yeah. because it's a release for us. Yeah. It's a safe space for us. But I feel, without taking anything away from it, that in the long run, I question how it really matters. And I question how much the people that can change things really give a about gateways. Yeah, yeah. For real. Because, you know, at the end of, the, and, and this is something that, that I toy with all the time, mm -hmm. you know, we are all black musicians yeah. uh, up here playing this music. And some of the music is by us, yeah. you know, but we yeah. also play a lot of music by the the Rachmaninoffs mm -hmm. and the and and the other folks. Yeah. What 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 does that mean to you? Because and I ask that because going back to Coachella, mm -hmm. whether it was a straight up Beyonce song or something that she sampled from someone else, you know, it mm -hmm. it, it all felt very black through yeah. and through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't. It, it seems like that's more challenging to do on the orchestral side, even here at Gateways. It is because the orchestral field has narrowed itself in the mm. way that it has. And it takes much longer, I find, for classical music to catch up to the other disciplines. Um, the irony is that when we did Coachella, musically, I felt home. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when I play classical music, I love it with everything. It's my fr I mean, it's... It's beyond, you know, classical music isn't dead to me, yeah. to me, in yeah. me. It's not. The people, I don't care. Sure, sure. But the music itself is not dead to me. And I get the same rush that I got during Coachella, but so much of it was conditioned and forced and painful. Mm. And every single step of the Coachella preparation process in the hardest days, in the longest days, sweating the most, we went plant-based, the hell, like. The, the whole. The entire band. We did it together. <laughs> wow, okay. We did it together. Bra brava. <laughs> and, you know, she didn't make us. This was our choice. Yeah. And, like, through all of that, all of that felt more just like home to me than anything that I've done with classical music and that's hard that's a hard thing to really like be real about yeah. with yourself yeah. you know because it feels like you're betraying some sense of community or some sense of pride and no that's not what it is at all i mean it's just in this age to be culturally relevant is to be fiscally secure if you're not nobody gives it the end. Yeah, yeah. And wow. that is becoming the norm. And that is a shifting standard. And shifting standards cause paranoia. And paranoia cause, causes all kinds of spirals. Yeah. And so for me, what she did with Coachella in featuring strings in amongst everyone yeah. was not only more unifying just from my perspective, I can't speak for anybody else, but it was not only more unifying, but it was also more healing for me and for everyone else in our section. 
And it also threw us onto the main stage in a way that none of these festivals or initiatives or funds or anything else has, um, which I don't think is coincidence, but. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. definitely want to get back into the, the cultural relevance piece, but, um, but, but you mentioned, um, you know, this idea of mm -hmm. black classical musicians feeling a level of betrayal when we admit yeah. to ourselves that we aren't in service to ourselves right. in, in a lot of this music. Um, so Lee Kuntz, who runs this um, festival, you know, he uses some of that language in describing it. This is not a diversity initiative to him. Right. The, these are classical musicians in service to ourselves and our love of classical music. How do you think we can expand that self-love into something that can be more culturally competent, something that, you know, the person, the black person who does not play an instrument can appreciate by, by seeing us love this and, and accepting us as part of the bigger culture, the bigger black culture? I think, and I mean, I, I can only speak like from my perspective, sure. but as someone who is classically trained, but does it, I feel like an equal, I mean, I really do an equal amount of like all the different types of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it all requires me to be at a very high level. And I have intentionally worked that way um, since school so but 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 that's the, but that's the black way we we have that's to we, we have we to know make everything it work, we, you know? we have to I mean I've been on my own since I was 19 so it has had to just work how it's gonna work yeah you know what I'm saying and because people prejudge light skin plays at Sphinx occasionally you know gateways violinists yeah like, ah, and it's like no it's like you have right. no Right. You know, so um, I think that perhaps the key is being able to find a way to make what we're doing culturally relevant without crossing the line into gimmick. And that's and, and so now talk, hard. Yeah, talk specifically about that, the gimmick or the pandering that, yeah. that so much of classical music tries to do. Um, you know, so many well-intentioned people fail so 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 profoundly the the road to hell is lined with good just intentions right like, <laughs> yeah it's like it doesn't have to be this way um you know it's it really does come down to who do you have on your board yeah who do you have making the decisions about who makes the hiring decisions and who is making the hiring decisions and and, and this gets back to, you know, your contracting and why you left Charlotte. Yeah. Um, as much as you find people who don't want you around in classical music, you also find people who have found a way to make themselves marketable in a way that isn't necessarily helpful to us as a whole. Yeah. And so there's just all these different nuances, all these minefields, you know? And so I think connecting with the community in a way that is not a charity, you know, that's not the charity aesthetic, which yeah. I'm sorry, but there's no way to avoid that in a nonprofit model. Yeah. yeah. Despite the fact that that's becoming more and more unstable. Um, so, you know, what I've seen from people that I look, look up to 
have been really just like an incorporation of what they're doing. Um, not being afraid of a corporate model. Hmm. Uh, owning your property, your artistic yeah. property. Yeah, that. Um, really putting out solid bodies of work as composers, as instrumentalists who are composing. Um, I have to say, I would never be writing my own stuff if it wasn't for the way that we learn the shows for yeah. Coachella and the tour. Yeah, I wouldn't be doing it because music did not feel like candy to me until all of that. And yeah. then I was like, oh, we're arranging? Ooh, ooh, but I have these ideas. Ooh, yeah. ooh, but I want, you know, I would never have gone there. I'm, I'm sure there is the, I know you I'm know, rambling, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're, you're great. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's the eight or nine-year-old black girl playing the violin somewhere who saw Coachella, who saw y'all up there and felt so validated. It seems like to me that could be um, multiplied, you know, by thousands yeah. if more leaders, if more artists would, would take advantage of really tying in all of blackness into what they're doing. And, and of course, there's only one Beyonce, Here, <laughs> period. Period. But but there are other, you know, there are other artists who have, yeah. have, have you know, taken on, you know, other endeavors, That's financial so and otherwise. And, and, and man, it seems like we could really create something if, if, if Drake would, would do something like, well, I, and I hate to say, I hate to bring up his name, talk about Beyonce these days, but, you know, or, or, or anybody, any, any, any black artist, any black leader who is just in, in uh, public sight, yeah. how validating it would be for them to, um, you know, put us black musicians out there okay. into the culture like Beyonce did. Yeah, I think that the big thing, well, she did two things. Well, I mean, no, she did three things. First of all, she did Coachella, period. Yep. She featured us the way she did for Coachella, period. But really the thing that I think took it to the next level as far as like breaking new ground is concerned is that she took the strings on tour. Mm -hmm. And while we were on tour, we recorded Everything is Love. And everybody had credits. I had two real credits, you did. and they were nominated for Grammys, thanks to them. And I cannot tell you the countless projects I've recorded on that I have never heard, I won't hear, or it's on Spotify and there's no credit. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of um, a famous artist sure. yes, <laughs> who I, I recorded sure. for and did not get paid until a year and a half later. And in the time that we were waiting, our project was released on Spotify and wow. on Tidal, and we were never given credit. Wow. And that's not Spotify or Tidal's fault. That's that artist's fault. So in addition to that's you know this exposure, you have to be responsible and, yeah. and make sure you're handling. You have handling. to be assertive about your. Yeah. Like yeah. that's your stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like street cred is cute. In 2019, that's yeah, what people clout, have. Yeah, clout, as they say it's now. It's clout. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, Ooh, I, think, I think that's myself. what the kids. I think that's what the kids are saying they now. Say clout. clout. You know, Offset said, do anything for clout. Oh, facts. <laughs> I need to ask Caitlin and, and Aaron and them. Shout out to kids. No, um, clout. It's clout. It's cute. It's cool. It's whatever. Yeah. But what's on paper? You know, what is, what are you getting more money for? Sure. Are you getting a sponsor for anything off of it? Uh -huh. 
Yeah. Like, or is this just about your profile? And then, then is your profile, like, are, if it is about your profile, like, are you utilizing that to the, right. you know, to the best extent? Right. Because if it was up to me, I wouldn't be on any of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, all of it makes me itch. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I like Instagram because I'm a visual person. So it's like, it's cool, you know, and I have to be there for people. I'm there because I have to, I feel like I have to be there for the next generation. It's very important to me. Yeah. I didn't have anybody, you know? Yeah. And, and imposter syndrome is real. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I was swimming in that. Sure. And it leaves an imprint and all the conditioning. You see it around you all the time. You see it a lot in black classical musicians. It's like we put up with a lot and we've had to do a lot to fit. And, and here we are still. Now we have, thanks to the court of public opinion, we have the permission to be vocal mm -hmm. about what we want and what we're not okay with. And it's like, now we need permission to, now that we have the per permission, we need permission from each other. And it's like, just be real. Like, yeah. just be honest. <laughs> this so, doesn't work for you. So what is the, um, what is the, what, what do you see or what do you hope even to be the next uh, evolution in, in your career? I mean, you've, you've already climbed the top of the mountain as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. You were playing with Beyonce, yeah. but yeah. I mean, sh maybe, maybe expanding your contracting or. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually, I've been contracting a little bit less. Hmm. I've found that contracting after touring with Beyonce is terrifying because sure. before less people know care what they're doing I never thought about that so now everyone is trying to get connected to you because you're connected yeah. to Beyonce and it's it's bringing out really strange things in people like the leader of a very prominent orchestra approached me after the panel that I did at you, Sphinx you don't want to name him um because you know i don't mind naming a conductor oh i know you no 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 this person is not a conductor oh okay no okay. no no okay. no 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 because because she's a woman of color sure yeah sure so i won't name names but i will say that as i got off stage this person this woman really tried to get on the Beyonce train through me while like consistently shooting down my my attempts at finding out why after numerous recommendations I hadn't been asked to play hmm. and I was like oh great she's approaching me cool I want to talk to her anyway yeah. because you know I I'm just I like to play, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, this group is doing really cool things and doing really cool things in really cool places, and, like, I'm just craving good orchestra, orchestral music, yeah. you know? I'm not a full-time orchestral musician. Orchestras are in the theater right now. So, like, <laughs> unless you're, like, playing with a really good freelance group regularly, and there are very few of, of those, you know? And for me, because I was away for so long, like, I was just craving orchestral stuff. Yeah. And but you have to, but you have to sift through again the people looking for the clout, looking do. for the connection. And so I knew for a fact through a connection, like that several people have been like, "Hey, call," you know, "Hey, hey, hey," and I knew that it was like a class thing. Yeah. And it was hard because it was like European versus American class thing. Yeah. And I was calling her on it oh. straight through the conversation, but because she's a woman of color, it's like, how do you? And I'm doing it because I'm shady as. Uh. 
and I'm calling her on like as she's saying things like she's literally lying and I'm like but but oh yeah but I saw oh yeah so and so told me that oh yeah you said mm. oh because what actually and see I know who you're talking about at this point right <laughs> and when it actually when she realized that it wasn't gonna happen yeah there was just like this retreat retreat like literally walking backwards and it felt terrible to me sure because I was like I had an idea of you I had a whole conception of you and you represented so many like you have such a platform this could have been such a great opportunity and at the same time it was like I don't know white people that have openly shaded me in that way you, you I mean purposefully used you as a as a stepping stool yeah. basically yeah to tr try to get where they are I mean it was just like holy shit. like you don't have are you have no sense of shame like and it just put a real and that was right after the panel and the panel felt so good yeah. you know yeah and I was like damn it why do we do this <laughs> you know is the whole crabs in a bucket in syndrome a barrel, yeah, and, I mean, so I think... But no one told us that there wasn't supposed to be a bucket. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because this is supposed to be the safe space. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you can be your safe space. And it sucks that that's where we are, but we have to be very realistic about where we are yeah. in 2019. You have your tribe, and you have the world that you create, and the world that you assert, and the person that you... Sh who you are when you show up to the gig, and that's really all you have. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. Well, you've been so um, generous with your time. In, in closing, <laughs> I would, I would, I know you can't pick a favorite Beyonce <laughs> song, and I can't pick a favorite oh. Beyonce song. But I'll tell you, the one that's been hitting lately. <laughs> for I can me, tell you my and, and I'm even, I'm wearing a, my Beyonce, one of my Beyonce T-shirts. I right love now. it. <laughs> I love it. It's um, a Coachella shirt. The um, the song that's been hitting with me lately is "I Care." That has really been hitting. Oh, yeah. So is there a song that, um, let, let, let's, I, there, there's someone listening to this right now who has never taken the time to listen to anything by Beyonce unless it's, you know, crazy in love, single A. Mm -hmm. So, so what is a, what is a, a B-side, pun intended, that you would suggest to someone who, who doesn't really know who Beyonce is? Um, well, the, it depends on what you want. Um, for me, so let's say let's say for the sake of this something something to put on while you're you know relaxing while you're while you're getting because that's how a lot of people treat classical music so right, right, right. so so while what is ready. yeah so what is a Beyonce um, tune that's that's gonna get someone settled down at seven thirty p.m. eight p.m. You know I really love four yes and yes. I feel like people overlook that album overlook yeah, that album yeah I agree I agree and I love four. And when I first moved to New York in that first week, it was the first week I tried running. Mm -hmm. And I fucking hated running so much. <laughs> <laughs> and now I need it. But like back, I didn't know how to breathe then. So like it was like pulling teeth, but I knew I just needed to get out because the experience of moving to New York was so dramatic and so stress inducing. Yeah. And I was apartment sitting for a professor at NYU, right? There was the summer before I started there for grad school and she was crazy, but her apartment was so beautiful. <laughs> Brooklyn Heights. <laughs> and so like I was cat sitting at her place and like watching her place. And so I was like, well, I'm in Brooklyn Heights. It's beautiful. Like I'll, this is a perfect place to start and learn how to run. And so four had just come out and I, 
I think I care is on for it. I care yeah. is on for um, party, but just one plus one. Yeah. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> just just that <laughs> so, in itself. Just that, like, <laughs> because I'd never heard her like that before. Just something about that album feels so intimate. Yeah. So I would definitely suggest four, and then I would suggest the latest. I would suggest the gift. Because the gift is my favorite of all right now, and and that's what yeah. what we started with, uh, bigger from oh from the gift. God. Yes, shout out to um, Stephanie Matthews who did the strings arrangement. Yes, for that. yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. With Derek, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jess, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you for having me. Jessica McJunkins in conversation with Garrett McQueen here on Triloquy. I'm officially a fan of Jessica. Of Jessica, you bet. Yeah, she, you know, uh, and we don't have a whole bunch of time to kind of dive into everything she was saying. But one thing I definitely wanted to bring back up was her point of cultural relevance equaling fiscal security. Say more about that. And yeah. when, when we were when we were um, in the in the uh, prelude talking about Jay Z, it's his it's his fiscal security that has given him the cultural relevance that has connected him with all of these different initiatives, including the the NFL and. As much as I hate the idea that you have to have money to make a difference because you don't, having that fiscal security definitely gives you the freedom to say what you want and do what you want. You're not worried about what your boss thinks about your work. You're not worried about what these other people are thinking about your initiatives because you're you're fiscally secure. And through that security comes cultural relevance and the power to, to really do what you want. I think that was a very poignant thing she said there. So then following that logic, now the NFL has a direct line into our culture, the which, black culture, which holy. Well, let's well. <laughs> yeah, we don't have time to dig into that today, but we, we will uh, another time. But you're making that connection is exactly the problem a lot of people have. Mm. But but shout out to Jessica. Um, I really appreciated her. She probably, you know, told us much more than um, she she had to, you know, because I, I know Beyonce holds all of her cards very close uh, to the chest. So, yeah, big shout out to Jessica and uh, and a huge thanks for her to taking the time during the Gateways Festival to, to talk with me. Um, we're going to hear a little more from the Gateways Festival in a future opus. But next time, um, I, um, I'm actually chatting with a woman named Vanessa Rose. Uh, she heads the American Composers Forum, which a lot of people who listen to classical music would recognize probably from the daily um uh, writers, uh, what's it called? Composers Date Book, yep. where, the, where the American Composers Forum reminds you that all music was once new. So they have um, something coming up where they're exploring the idea of diversity among composers and how composers can um, get involved with those initiatives. Devon is going to be a part of this, uh, cool. who, who we've already heard from on Triloquy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a talk there. So on the next opus of Triloquy, I uh, sit and chat with Vanessa about... You know, all about that convening, about um, what she sees for the American Composers Forum as far as uh, creating more equity within the organization and maybe even changing the name of American Composers Forum to help do that. So it's going to be a really great conversation. Listen for it next time on Triloquy. My favorite Beyonce song is Formation. Remember, you can get in touch with us (laughs) through Triloquy.org. Or send us an email. It's T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y at AmericanPublicMedia.org. Come on, ladies. Let's get in formation.